0: i say when it comes to stardom and lauren there are no accidents hi karen peterson
1: hello everybody and welcome to citizen dame the podcast where we know the difference between a film and a television show uh i am lauren humphreys brooks with me as always is karen peterson hello karen
0: hello yeah it's not as obvious as it should be apparently (laughs) <laughs> yeah
1: i know it's like i mean if it's a, f- a film is a film and a tv show is a tv show and i don't know why there would be any particular debate about this and yet somehow there is somehow there is and people are have some really interesting and fairly arbitrary criteria f- to meet for films versus tv shows including du- number of directors which i find very odd i'm like i don't think that works but
0: okay yeah i'm not sure what happened there <laughs> it's so confusing. And then to get yelled at by people who should darn well know better.
1: Just...
0: <laughs> for for those who do
1: not indulge in the Twitter sphere, I got into a fight for some reason uh about um whether or not Twin Peaks the return was a TV show, which it is because it is a TV show. Uh and a lot of people really want to classify it as a movie and I still don't understand that. It's like, okay, like, okay, sure. Words don't mean anything then. Great. We'll just do that.
0: So, I can't believe we're still
1: litigating Twin Peaks The Return. Like, guys, this has been several years. Please stop calling it a fucking movie.
0: Dateline is a movie.
1: (laughs) Dateline is a movie. Well, yeah, at that point, (laughs) it's like, all right, Bob's Burgers is a movie. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Frasier is a movie. It's ten seasons long. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, and if they're trying to say... well it's one it's one continual story like every episode you have to have the whole thing to tell this complete story that's most tv shows
1: <laughs> Well, i know they work yeah and now and now we're at the point where we're we're doing things like you know we're, so it's a limited series then that's how it was marketed right so you're right. now we're at the point where we are we do have what used to be called miniseries. I don't know why we don't really call them that anymore. Um, but, you know, single season or sometimes multiple season, depending, um, of, of, you know, a single story arc, which, fine, I got that. Like, that does not make it a movie.
0: Even the mm. Emmys, even the Emmys have distinguished between limited series and TV movies. <laughs> they have separate categories for those. It's they used just... to put them into one category and now they have separate categories for them because they are different things and 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 i will
1: not rant about this for too long i promise and they are both valuable being a tv show does not make it less artistic does not make it, it it and i think that that's the source of some of this is that there's this idea that film right is is its own special art and that that is what cinematic art looks like but tv means that it's it's lesser in some way and and that's just not true and you know uh, a lot of us have, have been talking about television as art and particularly right now when when we are getting these really interesting i say limited series these these you know 10 or 18 or 20 episode arcs that are their own enclosed work of art and that's fine but it's still television television can be art everybody television can be art it's okay
0: to call it tv there is some really really spectacular television that exists and it's wonderful and it should be celebrated and saying that it's lesser because you didn't get to watch it on a big screen doesn't make it true yeah exactly
1: anyway so yes we do know the difference between tv and film on this podcast uh some people don't but we do but
0: do we know the difference (laughs) between horror and thriller
1: (laughs) that is a good (laughs) question so today uh today on this episode we are going to talk about kind of the history of horror and just basically some horror films that we dig and kinds of horror that we like and kinds of horror that we don't like because there's also that um so i i just wanted to start out with what are what are like some of our favorite films and and sub-genres like what types of horror do we like and what types of horror don't we like so karen you want to start us
0: out mm, yeah we've talked about this a few times and it's yeah. still hard for me to really to really like boil down what it is that i like <laughs> um <laughs> it's because horror is such a such a big word and it has there's mm-hmm. so many so many pieces and layers and levels and types and um yeah, and so for me, if I'm like, I'm really in the mood for a horror movie, sometimes that means I just want to watch a slasher movie, you know? Sometimes it means that I want, um, like, I I think what I really love is when you just don't know what's going on. Like, there's that mystery element to it. You don't know, is this all happening in this person's head? Is this mm-hmm. real? Is it not? um i i really i really like that type of movie but there are just yeah there are so many different and it's funny because when you look at some of my actual favorite horror films it doesn't seem like i have a type <laughs> <laughs> kind of like men um <laughs> i just like them um yeah i i don't know how about you
1: uh, I mean, I think it's probably in some ways easier to say what kind of films you don't like. Yes, uh, like yeah. I, I really do not like for for a while, and this is this is sort of fallen out of vogue. But um, for a while there, particularly in the early aughts, there was um, a lot of what was referred to as torture porn. So oh, that, films mm-hmm. like Hostel, um, and and uh, some of them were good films, but they they just there was so much indulgence in the violence and the just very just often fairly misogynist um very disturbing just images of people being you know mutilated decapitated all of that stuff and i know that some people really like were into that i i've never liked the kind of horror where it's like a an endurance test and i think that there's there's some people who are really into horror films but what they're really into is just bragging rights so to be able to say, Oh, I sat all the way through this movie and it was horrible and but I didn't throw up once. And it's like, <laughs> Great. I'm so glad that you watched a film that is so horrific that uh <laughs> you you felt like you were gonna vomit but you didn't. Like that's exactly what I want <laughs> in my heart. Um, no, yeah, so that that's the kind of film that I don't like. I don't like cannibal movies. I don't like um, you know, stuff like cannibal holocaust or things like that. It's just I don't know i think at some level you there's a pleasure to horror and that's what why we like it because it's the same reason why we like comedy in some ways it makes us you know react in at some level and i i don't understand the point of putting yourself through a horror film that is just viscerally unpleasant to watch yeah um i i I don't get that so i love most
0: of the saw movies (laughs) yeah
1: exactly i i love haunted house movies i love ghost stories i particularly love like really atmospheric films give me something that takes place in like a haunted house or this like old victorian mansion and you know creepy ghosties are, are all around i love that stuff i do like some of the asian extreme films um Uh, stuff like uh, Ringu and uh, Juan and things like that. Although again, it can kind of cross the line sometimes. You're never quite certain when it's gonna cross the line Mm -hmm. or (laughs) if it's gonna cross the line. It's like, oh, this is really, really good. Oh, I did not need to see that. Thank you though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because a couple of years ago I was talking to a coworker. I was on my way to see something. It was probably like a premiere or screening or something. And, but it was definitely a horror film, and my coworker was like, "Man, you really like horror movies, don't you?" And I said, "I enjoy having seen them, but I don't always enjoy the process of watching them because I don't actually enjoy the feeling of being scared and i I've thought about that a few times over the years and i realized that because i've watched a lot of horror in the last couple years and like really it's a genre that i always struggled with but have really started to embrace a lot and i think what i realized is that i don't enjoy being startled and so when a movie relies on jump scares as its primary source of fear i don't necessarily like that because first of all I just don't like that feeling. And second of all, it really diminishes on repeat viewings. And what I what I really like and what I what I have come to really enjoy about horror as I've explored more of it is I like the unsettled feeling of like when it really just gets under your skin where it's not mm-hmm. about something popping up out of nowhere or Um, Or the stupid cat getting in the way or whatever, but it's really just about getting to you like emotionally, psychologically. I enjoy that. And I'm fascinated by it. And that is infinitely rewatchable to me
1: yeah i i like i like jump scares in some ways i think that there's some horror films that are almost like an amusement park ride yeah um that you know that it's like you're you're on a roller coaster and then suddenly d- the bottom drops out or something like that and that that can be fun but you're right they don't they generally don't hold up um and i i do like those films that manage to balance that out Mm -hmm. so i i think that something like the original paranormal activity which i know has some detractors and some people who just love it i really like it but one of the reasons why i like it is because it sets up a really good concept right and and a good and a good kind of mythology and story behind everything and it has jump scares but it also has this you know consistent building of tension Um, and I, I enjoy that balance. And I, I think that movies, even movies like it, um, the first one definitely have that same balance of like, there are moments of just like, ah, you know, (laughs) um, and other moments that is just this building of tension and this building of fear and that kind of being able to balance that out is, it's, it's an art. I mean, a good horror director knows how to show the audience just enough to frighten them and not so much that it just kind of numbs them.
0: Yeah. Well, and when I say I don't like jump scares, that's not a, that's not a total 100% like always Mm -hmm. statement because sometimes I've seen them so well done that it's just like, I really have to appreciate the brilliance of that moment. You know, like one of the very best jump scares I've ever seen in any form was in one of the episodes of the haunting of hill house on netflix that mike flanagan did and it's so well placed because you're you're not even like it's in the middle of this really dramatic scene and this really important conversation between two characters you're not even bracing for it. You don't even think that there's a possibility of anything happening or if it does it's like, Oh, it's going to be something jumps out in the middle of the road in front of these people that are driving, but instead something else much different and much more unexpected happens. And it's so brilliant that I was just like, wow, I have to applaud that. That was (laughs) so great, you know? And I, I appreciate those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, the, the fun house when, especially when it's not something i was expecting going in i don't i i I just i have i struggle with that i don't like Uh to watch a movie from behind my hands (laughs) and sometimes i find myself doing that
1: (laughs) uh i i kind of enjoy that i actually watched um the second ring film uh for the first time just the other day and there was a moment definitely in that film where it's like oh no oh no i know it's gonna (laughs) so it's gonna happen no i don't want to do and so it was that kind of like "Eh, no i know that something horrible is gonna happen right now please don't let this (laughs) um and that that can be fun also because i i think again you know it's it's going back to that sense of it's an amusement park right almost you know that something is going to happen Mm -hmm. um you might not be certain exactly what it is uh and or how it's going to come about but it's it's that you know we talked about it when we talked about hitchcock the difference between suspense and and shock right
0: um
1: and and jump scares are very much the shock yes that's that's you know ah i don't know that anything is whoa you know there's a ghost that jumps out at you or something like that um whereas suspense is knowing that the ghost is there knowing that something is there and you're waiting for it you're waiting Mm -hmm. for that moment and you're bracing yourself for it and that's that's, I think, the pleasure of of horror, that going into a horror film, you know people are going to get killed, there's there's mm-hmm. going to be a ghost, there's going to be all sorts of horrible things that will happen. The question is, you know, when will it happen? How will it happen? Will it scare me? Or will I just go like, oh, well, that's kind of stupid, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I wonder, for you, what do you think of when when they edit in, like um almost like subliminal images where you just get like like the picture will break up and it'll just be a flash of something else like i'm trying to think of an example like in um parts of the shining for example where um it keeps cutting to the girls dead on the floor in the hallway or something like that but it's such a such a quick um cut that you don't you don't know that it's coming. Like, how do you feel about those?
1: Yeah, that's. I haven't really thought about that, but that's interesting because there are a number of films that, that do that, where you get flashbacks. Essentially, the flashbacks are flash forwards, or. um
0: But it's uh, almost done visions. like a subliminal message. But it's like yeah. fast. It's longer than that, so you can actually process what you're seeing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think that I think they've done that in some of the Ring films as well. I think mm-hmm. that you get those little blips almost. Yeah um i think that it depends upon how it's employed like does it work uh it do you get because because i if i remember correctly in the shining you, that kind of builds right so you, it does, as you yeah. begin to learn more about what happened in the hotel and um and what everything that's going on what that means uh you begin to see more and more of those and so you can begin to associate it's like oh that's you know the, that's who those girls are or that's why he saw this in that room things like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i think that it can work really well it depends upon how the film uses it if the film is just doing it again i think it's about artistry ultimately if the film is just doing it for kind of ah, oh, let me shock you by showing you know a horrible murder for a split second um you know why do i care but if you're going to build it if you're going to do something with that as part of the story then uh i think that it can work really well it is it's an interesting technique that's not used a lot but it is used sometimes and um yeah i'm trying to think of other films where that happens
0: uh it happens in sunshine which i don't know that i would classify that as a horror movie but they do but but when they do it in sunshine it is for the horror elements of that story um event horizon i think does it yeah um i'm trying to think of some others yeah i
1: mean a lot of this is is focalization also so at least in the shining it's via danny's perspective Mm -hmm. so it's something so what you're seeing is essentially him being aware that something has happened and yeah. seeing these images that he might not that like the viewer he doesn't really know what they mean he can't At least process start, them yeah yeah but he's just like something horrible happened kind of thing mm-hmm.
0: um yeah I don't know I just yeah goes. I just was thinking about it because sometimes when I've seen it done it is in itself another type of jump scare but a very different type.
1: Yeah, because it's something that's not expected, but it's also bringing you out of the scene somehow. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing something that, and, and then it does begin to raise questions in the viewer's mind. What am I seeing? Am I seeing a flash forward, a flashback? Am I seeing a, a hallucination, a ghost? Right. Um, I mean, honestly, one of my favorite horror techniques is the focusing on a character in the foreground, and then something happening in the background yeah. that's kind of blurry, and you can't really see what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, shadows, people crossing behind uh, uh, behind characters, and like, and so you're paying attention to what's going on in the foreground, but you're also aware of this thing. Um, I've talked about it before. One of my favorite shots in Psycho is the shot over Janet Lee's shoulder when the bathroom door opens. Yes uh and so you're seeing through the shower curtain and you're seeing kind of the blackness of the door as it as it swings open and that is really frightening because you're sitting there and the viewer knows that someone has come into the room but the the character doesn't know Mm -hmm. uh you get it also sometimes and it's this has now been overused but you get it sometimes when you know a character bends down to wash their face or something like that and looks up and there's something in the mirror it's the same kind of thing
0: yeah i actually it's funny because i hate that <laughs> um the mirror thing mirrors and windows and it's funny because i have had this like lifelong fear it's it's it really is a phobia of mine it's it's pretty mild it's controllable it's not like i avoid looking in mirrors but i have this phobia of anything reflective and it's because of movies like Poltergeist. <laughs> where the guy starts like ripping his face off in the mirror or in in so many movies where like the killer is outside and he's looking at you through the window in the dark or whatever or you think he's gonna be outside but it turns out oh no he's standing right behind you and you can see him in the reflection in the glass you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing like it seriously terrifies me and um i thought this was just a me thing and then i started like talking about it on social media like one day a couple years ago i brought something up about it and all these people jumped in and they were like oh my gosh i have that too it totally freaks me out and (laughs) so it's it's a real thing (laughs) and that made me feel better but also like i don't know i don't know what the cure is for that
1: well yeah i mean I, i i think that it goes i think that it goes into if you want to be freudian about it right it goes into the the concept of the uncanny of mirrors and reflections are very often have been treated ever since forever, since at least the 19th century and definitely before that, um, as, as being almost this connection to the other world, right? So, and I think the part of that is, is psychological, that we're, we're unable to see ourselves other than in a mirror, Mm -hmm. right? So the only time that we can look at our own faces is through a reflection. The idea that you could see something reflected at you that isn't there or that is there, but is, is something frightening. So, so you know, the, the scene in Poltergeist where the guy begins tearing his face off in the mirror, but he, but of course we're watching, we're just like, he's not doing it, but he is, but he is about, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that's, that's a really frightening concept, this idea of, of the, the, also the idea of the doppelganger, the reflected image that does things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Or that you are not in control of at some level, but it's so it's it's that kind of it's you, but it isn't you. Um, and horror makes a lot of use of that. I mean, if you would go back to some of the earliest concepts of horror, there's a lot of mi- use of mirror image and um, and doppelganger and this kind of repetition of of uh, a person, right? right? The ability the ability to see ghosts in a mirror. I mean that that has long long that is a long history uh going back to like all sorts of occult beliefs and everything that you can actually capture people's reflections and capture their souls in mirrors Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting yeah but so let's talk a little bit about the history of horror horror as with westerns and as with so many other things has been around forever from the beginning Forever, ever since the invention of cinema, horror cinema has existed. So, uh, I mean, we've talked about German Expressionism. We've talked about those sorts of early kinds of, of horror films. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the the Universal Monsters. So you're getting into the 1920s and the 1930s in Hollywood. And um, and in 1931, if I remember correctly, uh, we get kind of a trifecta of horror films, 1931, 1932 um with the uh, Dracula Frankenstein and the mummy. And that's kind of it's not the beginning of universal horror the beginning of universal horror is stuff like phantom of the opera with lon Chaney um but those are sort of the ones that we tend to go back to when we're talking about hollywood horrors is, is Dracula and Frankenstein in particular mm-hmm. which are very different films than I think, uh, certainly than the books that they're based on. And but they are kind of the beginnings of of our um, of our understanding of those characters. So Bela Lugosi's Dracula is very much the template for future representations of Dracula right up until the current period, right? And future representations of vampires. It's the same thing with the Frankenstein monster. You know, we now have all this conversation about, oh, the monster isn't, the the monster is Frankenstein and it's Frankenstein's monster, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are, are so quintessential, they're almost hokey now. Like we're, we're at the point where they're, they've been repeated so often in pop culture that they're not really scary. Uh, but i always find the universal horror films interesting because uh, many of them were made during the pre-code period some of them are very violent like if you even if you watch the early dracula which is not horribly violent but there's a lot of sexuality there there's a lot of kind of depiction of um this this sort of marriage between sex and death in in the dracula films uh, it, yeah, if you're talking about something like um, the Mummy, or or some earlier films like Murders in the Rue Morgue, or uh, um, one of my favorite things called The Return of Doctor X, which is just the weirdest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's very bizarre and it's it's very pre-code. But pre-code horror is is fascinating. And um, and incredibly violent and and one of the ones that I wanted to mention really quickly is the Black Cat, starring uh, Lugosi and Karloff, which is a sort of latish pre-code. I think that it's 1932, so you're kind of pushing into uh, getting closer to the code era, but it is quite shocking in a lot of ways, both in its depiction of sort of sadomasochism and and just also in its depiction of violence. There is a scene where, where a man is literally flayed alive and it's horrifying. And you don't see tons of blood or anything like that, but it's very frightening and still very disturbing. Um, so I think it's always interesting that, and we've talked about pre-code before, what they were allowed to represent on screen. And, and some of the things that we don't particularly associate with that era of horror, we don't really associate it with being scary anymore. So I don't know if you had any thoughts about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that you're right. I think because of the fact that they've been played and repeated and replicated so many times that does take the, the scare out of it. There's also the fact that they're dated. I mean, um, when you start to look at the, some of the special effects that were used, um, the in-camera techniques that were used, the quick yeah. cutaways and things like that, uh, compared to what, what is able to be done now. Sure. It diminishes some of that, but this is where I'm talking about what I really like about horror is when it really just gets under your skin. And, yeah, and I think some of these original, these are old, uh, early films, even even though the imagery themselves the images themselves are not particularly scary when you really look at what's happening like in frankenstein when the monster is being chased by the villagers and things those moments still have a lot if you just kind of just release yourself to just enjoy the films they still have a lot of really good um uh, really good tense tenseness to them really uh Mm -hmm. intensity um they still have good stories to to tell and i think one of the problems that that we run into with people where they're really reluctant to watch old movies is because they're just looking at um the images they're just looking at this is what i see and this is very old and dated but if you really just allow yourself to look past that and to listen to the words that are being spoken to really understand the subtext of what's not being spoken these movies are still very uh influential to this day for a reason Mm -hmm. and um yeah And, and this is also gets into which i'm sure we'll talk about in a bit but this also gets into the idea of remaking some of these things and yeah um but actually even before that you know A lot of these all of these movies were based on books um and it's interesting how they were able to completely change the hearts of a lot of those stories and what we understood of those monsters in those stories um and redefine what those books are i remember in high school when i read frankenstein and i was like wait (laughs) this isn't anything like the frankenstein that i've always understood and it's because that character has been so completely changed by movies and so rewritten by movies that you have when you go back to the source material it can be a little bit confusing um
1: yeah and, and the, those characters like i said those characters are so now ingrained in popular culture i mean yeah. it there's you can't escape from them if you if you look at any of the representations of frankenstein or dracula and frankenstein maybe slightly less so because there has been because it's so different from the original Mm -hmm. book um but still like you know those images right you look at when you look at frankenstein you're like i know what that is i know what dracula looks like Mm -hmm. uh and and that kind of changes we also have to remember that something like dracula so the um, the film, uh, the, the Bela Lugosi films made in 1931, that's only about 30 years after the book was published. So there's not actually that much time that has passed between these books uh, being published in, and the films being made of them. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I think is interesting in terms of talking about horror is what uh, is, is being represented about the culture in, um, in horror films. And I think one of the reasons why we find certain older things very scary and why we don't find other things scary is not just about the techniques, but it's also about the way that they're represented, the things that they fear. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, horror films kind of, it's the collective unconscious, uh, unconscious of, the, uh, of the culture that makes it. So I think it's one of the interesting things and people talked about it, that torture porn became so popular around about the time as we began seeing the images coming out of Abu Ghraib. Right. Uh, and that that kind of coincided. And so the, what films depict about fear and about what we're frightened of in a particular time uh, also says something about what, uh, what the culture is currently frightened of. So one of the things with Dracula um, is that Dracula in one, one of the things that, that frightens people <laughs> <laughs> uh, is is this whole idea of the foreign invader? So Dracula is this Eastern figure who's coming in from the east. He's ancient. He's seducing these women away from their very boring, uh, but <laughs> but very acceptable, um, uh, you know, American or English whatever boyfriends. Um, And he's, he's bringing pestilence with him. That's one of the things that's represented in Osferatu. That's one of the things that the book represents. That's one of the things that um, that the 1931 Dracula represents is he's bringing in this, this disease that is then spreading among people. So it's, there is a racial component. There is a racial fear that is being represented uh, 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 about the broader culture in movies like Dracula and Frankenstein is interesting because um because the frankenstein monster is very sympathetic he's he's an innocent it's not his fault he's been created by another by another person who's lost his mind basically so it's interesting that a book from whatever that is the late 18th century can have so much resonance with uh you know a 1931 audience that they still adapted so it's, it's the same kind of thing that this idea of the hubris of man of the hubris of trying to play god um and of creating life out of death all of that uh it's it's really it has really interesting implications i think for for considering what was going on in the in the 1930s and then even considering what's going on you know in our period so yeah. you get to serial killers and slashers in the 1980s <laughs> and 90s
0: yeah well i think with frankenstein in particular i think that that one of the reasons that there are so many different types of adaptations of mary shelley's book and the reason that her story is so universal is because of the fact that she captured something that is universally true which is Mm -hmm. that from generation to generation people don't change and men especially (laughs) and um having her protagonist who is really the villain um of that story be this this person who just let his his own genius you know get away from him and and cause so much corruption and destruction um that that's a universal story because she understood something about men that it would take a lot of other people a long time to figure out
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it is a story about male hubris it's Mm -hmm. And, and some of it is definitely about this male anxiety about not being able to create life. Yeah. Um, and, 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 of course, what it results in is utter destruction. Attempting to create life uh, out of death, out of nothing, is it's all,
0: dangerous. <laughs> it's almost like it's a book that could only have been written by the daughter of a very outspoken feminist. <laughs> Who spent a lot of time with really
1: hubristic men. Yep. (laughs) Um, I mean, you got to remember, Mary Shelley wrote that book when she was hanging out in a chateau with Byron. Yep. So it's just to be like, you know what, what am I going to write a book about? I'm going to write a book about what fuckboys men are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just like, you're so full of yourselves that you're going to destroy everything.
0: yeah pretty much and i mean it takes on new life in the 1930s when the world was falling into depression Mm -hmm. europe was basically giving up their control to a really bad person um and not just a bad person there were a couple you know and and uh it's interesting to look at the fact that frankenstein hits in 1930 1931 whatever year it was right at the time that the world was about to go through major upheaval yeah and it really it didn't capture the zeitgeist because a lot of the stuff hadn't happened yet but it's it was in a way it's almost kind of prescient in in what that decade would lead into
1: Yeah, I I think that, I think that there's a lot in this, this concept of it being the collective unconscious, uh, Mm -hmm. um, unconscious, because there, there is that sense of like, there's, there's stuff that's percolating underneath the surface, there's political things, there's um, issues of race and gender and all kinds of things. And it's seeing expression in nightmares, essentially. Uh, And that's what horror films ultimately are. They're the nightmares of the society. So what does the society fear? Uh, and so in studying, I think, horror and in looking at horror films from different generations up and up to our current period, um, it's really interesting to consider that and, and to consider what are people frightened of? What, you know, what kinds of horror films are we making? Um, and and what does that say? And also, and it's a good point, who's making them? Mm-hmm. So, one of the the major theories about uh, horror is that it's the the concept of the return of the repressed. So, whoever has been repressed uh, within a society, so talking about women, you're talking about um, uh, homosexuals, you're talking about uh, race, you're talking about uh, ethnicity, class, etc the monster that they then to are made into the monster by the, by mainstream society. But the way that we understand the monster and the way that the monster kind of expresses itself uh, is very different. And sometimes it can be very reactionary. And that's one of the things that has been um, sort of discussed about uh, sla- particularly slasher films or serial killer movies,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that the monster is in some ways a reaction against feminism, that the monster is a reaction, is a very male reaction against uh, the sense that men are being uh, uh, castrated. <laughs> um, uh, and so you get that on the one hand, uh, on on the other hand, you can also get these monsters that are this, just this expression of anger and the expression of, um, the pain and suffering that has kind of been repressed by the mainstream society, but the that society is very f- afraid is going to erupt in some way and is going to erupt in a way that can be very damaging and dangerous, but that is also something that we have to deal with. And that's where you get uh, a lot of the films. So say from the 1960s and the 1970s that are about pregnancy and women giving birth to the antichrist, <laughs> things yeah. like that, this sort of, eruption of fury and anger and horror uh, and monstrosity because this has all been repressed
0: we also starting in the 40s and going through to today that's where you start to also see a lot of sequels and we destroy the monster in this movie but oh look he comes back and it's sort of um it's you can trace that back to the idea like that really started to take hold in the 40s when even after you know the nazis were gone they'd been defeated there's still that threat of them coming back and you're always afraid of that and then the rise of the cold war and then going into the 60s a lot of um well in the 50s and 60s a lot of the villains the monsters in these horror movies were really suppose they were depictions of racial archetypes and um then for those monsters to keep coming back it's like you just you can't ever get you can't ever really defeat this threat this supposed threat and so um and that continues today in in much different ways but that's i think where a lot of that started was i mean sequels exist for money obviously but i think that that's when you have the same monster coming back and again and again even if it's not even if it's not an um like a uh, shoot what's the word um even if it's not like an overt like i'm gonna make a movie about how we can't seem to defeat this group you know or whatever um then i think that that is part of that unconscious that you're talking about that you know it's it's a threat that's always there it never goes away
1: yeah and and it's interesting the forms that those threats take and also how the film kind of makes you feel about them because Mm -hmm. um there are films where there's a subversive aspect to it that it's not just it's about it's about criticism so the repressed the reason why the repressed comes back is because it's been repressed um that that and it comes out in these monstrous ways so uh, you know and i'm thinking about films like uh the old dark house which is a very early james whale film mm-hmm. but is very queer it's it's one of the earliest forms of queer horror um if you're talking about slightly later than that uh the hellraiser films so these these images of of uh, sexuality that is not acceptable to mainstream society. And by that I mean patriarchal heteronormative white society. Right. Right. Um, and, and so the only way for those things to be expressed, the only way for those things to find expression is through this, this almost bending of it, this, this attack on society. And it's not an accident that the, that's who the monsters are attacking. The monsters are are not attacking each other. The monsters are attacking the um you know the nuclear family they're attacking uh they're attacking the representations of contemporary society yeah and and they're also you know kind of saying you have these desires you have these repressions you've tried to push this down you've and because you've tried to push it down you've misshapen everything and and turned it into a monstrosity where maybe there is no monstrosity. And so something like uh, the Frankenstein monster is a sympathetic figure. He's not a bad guy. He's the monster, but he's not the villain. Mm -hmm. Um, You get that in in slightly different forms all the way throughout the history of horror where the monster is created out of the the anger the violence the repression etc of um of a society that basically does not want to deal with that part of themselves um and and it's it's really interesting when those things pop up but it's also really interesting when the monster wins yeah and so one of my favorite films and this is jumping ahead a little bit but one of my favorite films and yes i know that it has problems all right we're not going to talk about that Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. There are many issues that we could talk about with Rosemary's Baby, but one of the things I think is really important in Rosemary's Baby is that it is a movie about a woman who's being victimized. And she's victimized by her husband, she's victimized by her doctor, she's victimized by everyone around her. Everyone who's supposed to protect her and take care of her and and, um, be kind to her victimizes her. And at the end of the film, spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen Rosemary's Baby, (laughs) um skip ahead a few minutes spoiler for a
0: 1968 movie that you damn well should have watched
1: (laughs) by now yeah seriously guys um but (laughs) at the end of the film she her child this baby that she has that is the whole point of the entire movie right that everybody wants is taken away from her and she finds him again and in doing so she gains power she gains power over everybody that has victimized her because suddenly, and they even say this near the end of the film, no one can care for him. No one can take care of him except for his mother. She is the most important person. And she gains by herself, by asserting herself and by saying I am the most important person, she gains massive amounts of power. And it is a very dark and disturbing power because this kid is the antichrist, right? But it is this really fascinating subversion of saying, like, here's this woman who we've watched being victimized the entire film. And suddenly she has all the power over everybody, over all of the men, all of the people that have used her. She is in control. And the film ends with her taking that control. And so it's a really, really fascinating film in terms of what it says about women in horror and what it says about the monster, as it were, that she chooses monstrosity, ultimately, because monstrosity gives her a power and a freedom that she doesn't have in being a victim.
0: I I don't even have anything to add to that because that was so perfectly
1: (laughs) explained. Well, one of the things I really like about... uh, i we're jumping around a lot here but one of the things i really like about what's what's usually referred to as feminist horror is that women women in horror films very often have one of two choices they can either be the victim or -hmm. they can be the monster
0: yeah
1: and increasingly over the years we've seen more and more female characters who choose to be the monster Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because you that is where you have power. That is where you actually gain control over yourself and over your, so in, in the case of Rosemary's Baby, over your child, over your body, over everything. You've been manipulated this entire time. You've been victimized. Okay, well, I won't be the victim anymore. So the only other choice that this society gives me is to be the monster. And so I will become the monster. And I, I like that, even though it's a, it's a horrible thing in a lot of ways, but I really like that horror gives that Kind of opening and and says kind of like you know you've created a paradigm the patriarchy etc has created a paradigm where this is the only
0: choice right
1: and if you're gonna give me that choice then i'm gonna be the monster because that's where i can survive essentially
0: mm-hmm. yeah and in in that way it does create some interesting um some interesting stories it creates an interesting commentary on not only on society but on the people who uh live in that society who watch these films and and try, there's there's a specific movie i'm trying to think of right now and i do this a lot i should have written this down ahead of time <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's really so there's so many i mean the, the thing is there's so many things to talk about really there are yeah i i think that we could probably do multiple episodes we're like well, today we're gonna cover giallo
0: and tomorrow mm-hmm. we're gonna
1: cover queer horror and now we're gonna
0: cover- i mean honestly i wouldn't mind doing some more of these leading up to you know halloween or whatever um doing yeah doing some episodes where we talk about i would love to do a whole conversation on some different types of international horror films and because this is something that it's it frustrates me when people call foreign a genre because it's not mm-hmm. um there are a lot of you know every country has their own sorts of types of movies you know and their own like a drama that you're going to get in germany is much different from one you're going to get in argentina and a yes. horror movie that you're going to get from Sweden is way different from one you're going to get from Japan. And I think well, that it's really interesting to explore some of that.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, in, in talking about this one and in continuing on with this, this concept of the return of the repressed. So a lot of, of what I was just talking about, what we were just talking about is, is very, is American, right? Or yeah. at least it's Western. Um, yeah if you begin to get into, you know, world horror, so and what are we talking about when we're talking about world horror, all of the other countries,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, everyone else, that's not us. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, so see, so you do begin to get some really interesting things. What I find interesting again, and, and we've talked about this in terms of other genres is the way that these things can overlap. So I, I mentioned Asian extreme earlier,
0: mm-hmm. films
1: made in, in Japan or Korea that, have become incredibly applicable to, to American settings. They become very popular. Yeah. Um, even though these are very different cultures and their approach to what horror is and what horror looks like is partially based in their religious systems. It's based in belief systems. It's based in the way that their society is structured.
0: Their own Um, history. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And so, but those films have, have had a great deal of staying power in other countries as well. So you know, so films that I don't particularly find scary, but that are very important in terms of the history of her, things like Godzilla uh, and all of the different big, you know, big monster movies, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, kaiju monster films that are very specific to Japan, but have a great deal of fascination mm-hmm. for American and Western audiences, um, and, and then we also make them ourselves, basically. So we get films like The Ring, which is originally a Japanese film, which then gets displaced to, displaced to America. And if you watch those two films side by side, they're very different films. They're telling the same basic story, but the, the approach to ghosts and the approach to, the, um, to, to curses and things like that are very, very different concepts. Um, And it's really fascinating where the Japanese films go with ghosts and curses and this this whole idea of anger being, um, having a great deal of staying power and also being something that you can't ultimately defeat.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, Well, like I think of, um, you know, when I was a kid, if my parents wanted to make sure that we were home before dark or whatever, you know, whatever it was oh you better get home or the boogeyman's gonna get you you know it's always the boogeyman and um when I was older and I started learning about other cultures and things I started hearing about like Baba Yaga and the La Llorona Mm. and some of these other legends and I'm like wow that's way scarier than what my parents told me about (laughs) (laughs) some of these things are really freaky you know and and um yeah so it's interesting when they do translate other uh other countries like when you take a japanese horror film for example and remake it for an american audience it's interesting which things land like which things are able to um uh, convert and which things aren't and some of so many of those movies end up being much more frightening if you watch at least for me if i watch the original Version like the Japanese version of The Ring scares me. The yeah. American version does not. I just don't like it. I feel like it's just really dark, and I don't like the feeling that I have when I watch it. But it doesn't scare me, and I think that that's an interesting fact too. And I think a lot of people have a similar experience.
1: I th- I, I do think that some yeah I agree. I think that some of it is about belief. Yeah and. And one of the things you see in a lot of the Japanese films is this idea of, of curses or horror, horror, ghosts, et cetera, being passed down, being mm-hmm. something that you can't get rid of. So the, the concept of the grudge yeah.
0: um,
1: uh, the, in the original film is, is that it's not really anything. It's, it's, a, it's something that is attached to a particular place. And it's not something you can eliminate. You can't appease the ghost. You can't fix it. It's it's very much a, just a part of that place, and whoever has the the un, the misfortune to go into that house becomes infected by it. So it's there is not that same kind of moralism I think that you get in a lot of of Western stories about ghosts, mm-hmm. because most of our a lot of our ghosts, not all of them, and I think that this has actually changed over the years. Um, but a lot of our stories, it's about addressing the particular experience of the particular ghost. So the ghost who is furious because her child was taken from her. And she yeah. becomes this, you know, wandering specter, etc. That there is some way to fix that, right? That there is, there's a step that you can take uh, in order to help to help her move on, this whole concept of her moving on. In a lot of, of um, Japanese or Korean horror films, there is no moving on. It simply is, right? So it's the residual anger from, from violence or from abuse. It's the residual anger from, being, from someone being wronged. And it's not something that you can repair. Uh, it's something that can only keep on going. So in the, in the case of The Ring, right, you can't defeat The Ring. Right. The ring just has to keep on going. The only way you can survive is to make a copy of the videotape and pass it on. Uh, and, and that is a very different approach to ghostliness and to the concept of a curse than a lot, of, uh, a lot of the way that we address those things. You can always break a curse in Western yeah. society.
0: Well, it's such an American thing to believe that we can just beat anything bad that's coming after us. Like, we can always win. And first of all, that's not always true. And second of all, other countries understand that. And a lot of filmmakers from around the world understand that and don't have that same machismo about them, I think. Um, American audiences don't like stories where we don't prevail.
1: Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's true. And I, um, I also think a lot of our a lot of Western horror is is very much based on in Victorian concepts of horror, mm-hmm. and it's very much based in um, a sort of concept of a moral uni- of a particular kind of moral universe. Yeah, that like you say that the good will prevail, that the evil will be defeated, mm-hmm. and that there is a way to defeat the evil.
0: Yeah, and that that's the only reason that a movie's worth watching is if there's a winner at the end. Yeah, right? which is also not true and very dismissive of really great storytelling i mean just like rosemary's baby like you were talking about i mean in the end of that movie when she's having to embrace this reality like in one way you can look at that and say oh well she didn't win but she found a way to still win (laughs) yeah and it's and it's acceptable yeah
1: I mean, she she did win in the sense that she essentially takes revenge on everyone who wronged her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of like Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the same kind of concept that that like okay, well she, I mean she wins in the sense that she has completely embraced her monstrosity. Yes. And so she's been told this throughout the entire film. You are a monster, mm-hmm. and she's like, okay, well I'm going to be a monster then, uh, and that's what happens. Um, mo- I mean, moving forward. One of my favorite contemporary horror films is The Witch,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: which I know I think that you have different feelings about
0: i need to revisit that one i don't think i was in the right frame of mind when i watched it the first time and i just haven't gone back to it
1: it's it's one of those films that i think grows on you the more that you watch it and particularly the first viewing it's very like what the hell is going on (laughs) um because of the language primarily but yeah it's it's an interesting film but one of the things that happens in the witch is that she's throughout she's told throughout the entire film that she's evil right and that she is the that that she's responsible for all of this suffering and all of this pain that is happening in her family and at the end that's what satan you know black philip etc uses to say like you have a choice you can make you can what do you want to be what can you be you can continue along the path of righteousness and still be suspected of being a witch and possibly be burned as a witch or you can actually become a witch and survive and and she she chooses survival, and that is a, you know again going back to that that whole thing you can either be a victim or you can be a monster. Right. And there's a, a liberation to to becoming the monster. Yeah. So I mean, and, and that that's a very intentional film. Like that is that is intended to go in that direction and be like, oh, you know, this this is the experience of of women in horror. This is the experience of women in society. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, yeah, I just got to say, a lot of men are lucky that we haven't chosen to be the monsters more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was trying to think of, what was that movie? Oh, it Mama with Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Where, I mean, it's a little girl, but in the end, she goes where she wants to as well and she Mm -hmm. she chooses to be with mama instead of staying with her sister and her uncle and um i i feel like that's a movie that needs to be explored more because (laughs) uh i think that it does some really interesting things too but yeah i mean this is a small child who has only known this being this this presence as her mother it's the spirit it's not her mother but um but she has comfort in that and so in the end when mama is trying to take both of the girls the two sisters i don't know have you you've seen that movie yeah i've seen it i've seen
1: it. it's been a while
0: since i've seen yeah, it, it so i really liked it yeah so it starts off it's this family um well there's like something happens between the parents and the dad takes the girls and drives off um and ends up at this cabin in the middle of nowhere and this this entity this presence is in that cabin and takes him and the two little girls are spared and they're tiny they're like five and two or something yeah and um So then she's basically just raising them. They're being raised by a ghost in the middle of the woods. And then they're located a couple years later by some hunters and they're sent to live with their uncle, who is their father's identical twin. (laughs) And, um, but mama, this present stays with them and is trying to keep control of them and is trying to, um, take the uncle and his girlfriend out of the picture essentially and trying to keep her girls and um, of course there's a whole tragic backstory about this woman Mm -hmm. and who she was and her time in this asylum and everything but but it's interesting because one girl the one who was older and who already you know had language and and knew her her family uh, she's able to integrate herself back into society once they're reintroduced but the other one who was just a baby uh she struggles and she's never able to accept any life beyond living with mama and so in the end this tiny girl who's like seven i think at this point she chooses to stay with mama which means dying Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because when i watched the movie i was shocked because i thought well of course it's a little girl she's gonna live you don't let kids die but even she got to make her choice
1: yeah, it's I I now that you're talking about that film, I'm like, oh, I remember all of this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that's a really interesting film, and and it is that, that goes into the idea of ghosts being frightening, but not necessarily being bad.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So the whole story of Mama is not that she's scary, and she's she's using what powers she has to obtain what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's it isn't a bad thing. She's not trying to hurt the children. She's trying to take care of them. Right. And, and they give her something and she gives them something and she keeps them alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she looks after them when the people that were supposed to look after them failed them. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's it's a really interesting story and i I think again that i know that that was produced by guillermo del toro i don't he didn't direct it but it was someone else it was Uh, another latin american director i think
0: it was directed by i could tell you um it was directed by andy machete okay there you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah
1: so but so you begin to get those kinds of a lot of del toro's films actually um the ones that he actually directed uh and and many of the ones that he produced are about a kind of sorrowful ghost you know the the idea of the supernatural world as being frightening because it's unknown but not necessarily being bad and not necessarily being good just being different Mm -hmm. and the idea of ghosts protecting particularly children from the evils of the um of the adult world and the violence that the adult world can commit yeah um i don't know it's it's really interesting uh so, so we've jumped around a whole bunch uh, well, we have. but <laughs> i i did want to, one of the last things i wanted to talk about was this whole idea so in terms of contemporary horror um there's been a lot of talk about big quotation marks elevated horror what's elevated horror and is it a thing
0: elevated horror is a bullshit excuse to say that some horror movies are more worthy of being watched than others yep pretty much
1: (laughs) pretty much pretty much well we have there is this weird stigma that's attached to horror films even the best horror films and also some of the worst because horror has a lot there are a lot of bad horror movies some of which are a lot of fun yep um and have a great deal of pleasure attached to them but they are still just bad movies right uh yeah this whole this whole concept of elevated horror and usually it's been applied to things like the witch or um ari aster's films uh so hereditary and um midsummer midsummer is not scary so no there's that uh <laughs> i would not call it a horror film because it is not frightening it is just boring yeah <laughs> it is that's a amazing. sleepy
0: time movie it is
1: a boring ripoff of the wicker man that's all i have to say it is. um but yeah this whole this whole idea that, that somehow you need to value horror different that like horror, certain types of horror films should be treated differently than other types
0: of horror films Well, and look at at who that tends to uh who that tends to celebrate yeah (laughs) i mean it's ari aster it's you know it's it's this designation given to given i think by people who tend to think they don't like horror movies that this is a way to make them feel like well yeah i don't like horror movies but this one this one's different this one's special this is something else and so they give it this this designation which nobody can even really agree on what elevated horror is supposed to mean anyway um because especially like would you call the exorcist an elevated horror movie that was nominated for oscars you know yeah and but but people who use that probably would not give the exorcist that designation and it's like okay well what what are how are you using that term and it's basically just their way of trying to say that there's something there's something more special about this movie than that one but as you and i have clearly demonstrated just from the conversation we've had for the last hour everybody has different things that they like about horror films Mm -hmm. and we are all drawn to different types of horror movies and it doesn't mean that all the other types that i don't like are bad i just don't like them and that's that's the thing about this this stupid term is saying that ari astor's hereditary is elevated but jordan peele's get out is not that's ridiculous first of all Second of all, it completely diminishes what each of those movies is doing. It doesn't actually, yeah. it doesn't let either of them just be what they are.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a good point that different films, this is true of all genres, but I, in terms of horror, different films are supposed to do different things. There are horror films that aren't supposed to really be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, that are, are really just supposed to be kind of funny and entertaining and weird and uh, and creepy. You know, I think about... Uh, I, I really like Giallo films in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um but mario bava's films many of them are strange and creepy but they're not necessarily like I, they don't give me nightmares you know they're not necessarily something that scares me but they're really just fun to watch yeah and that's what they're intended to be and in fact, a lot of his films have a playfulness to them of just like, this is kind of silly. Like, we're all sitting around waiting for these people to die. Like, that's <laughs> what's going on here. And isn't that kind of stupid? I think it's kind of stupid, but it's also fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a very, very different kind of horror from Hereditary, from The Exorcist, from Rosemary's Baby um or from you know 1931 dracula or nosferatu or phantom of the opera all of those films are trying to do different things and the question is whether or not they succeeded doing them not whether or not i can compare you know nosferatu to hereditary right you know which one of those films is the better film well, i could tell you which one i think is the better film because i think that nosferatu is just a is a better piece of art but they're, com- they're completely different. They're, they're trying to do two completely different things. And we can argue about whether or not they succeed at them individually. Yeah. But to compare them is very odd. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I hope that we don't have to continue to hear about elevated horror. We see, it seems to pop up every time a film that is vaguely artistic, that is, that can also be labeled
0: horror comes up. Mm-hmm um or a movie that is not not necessarily getting a lot of of, i feel like this term popped up with people who were trying to get oscar nominations for certain movies not ones that did because i don't i don't really see this attached to get out or us Mm -hmm. but um which I think is very interesting, but you see yeah. it attached to movies like hereditary where people really were so sold on Tony Collette getting an Oscar nomination or quiet place where people thought Emily Blunt should get an Oscar nomination. Um, movies like that, where it feels like it's a term that kind of popped up from critics who were trying to push for something and, and something very specific in this case being awards recognition and By slapping that label on it it makes it seem like oh oh yeah this is something we should pay more attention to because this isn't mainstream this is elevated this is something more special more important more artistic more worthy
1: yeah yeah no i definitely agree it's horrors has been going through some really interesting permutations recently i i think and and some of them are really good uh and different and there's a lot of expansion of the genre and a lot more i, I think there's also a lot more intention uh, attention on the genre mm-hmm. um and and then there are others that that you just like try you know it's, it's kind of it's kind of like the argument about is it film or television it's just like well you know what it's fine if it's either it doesn't really matter that it's just a different way of talking about it you know is it mm-hmm. elevated horror or is it just regular horror it's like are, are you saying that if it's elevated it's more worthy exactly it's better it you know it's more artistic it means something more you know i will also say just because i hate ari aster hereditary is a ripoff of rosemary's baby um <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a ripoff of a lot of movies and so is the other one midsummer yes, midsummer that's the thing like he's not an original filmmaker and you know what his movies work for some people fine good for you I'm glad you like them but don't like I just want people to stop telling me how original he is because he's not
1: yes definitely Ari Aster is not that great everybody
0: uh. you know who is great Jennifer Kent she needs to make more movies
1: yeah yes yes <laughs> uh, a lot of the most interesting horror directors are not straight white men it's it's weird not isn't
0: it anymore, anymore I mean, not... a lot of the most interesting people are not either so that's true that's true so yeah but
1: i i i think that maybe we want to close out with that actually to to talk about this so we've talked about the return of the repressed we talked about this kind of collective unconscious um when you get people behind the camera who are making movies, who are, are making horror films, particularly. So when you get women or you get people of color, you get, um, uh, LGBTQ directors and writers, is there a different kind of horror that you come out with? Because a lot of, a number of the films that we've talked about have been actually films that are, have been made by straight white men. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but when you're talking about something like Jennifer Kent's The Babadook or, um, uh, Alice, uh, Alice Lowe's *Prevenge*, uh, or Jordan Peele's uh, *Get Out* and *Us*. You've got a very different perspective on what is horrifying and what is frightening. Or, you know, moving forward, to that Jordan Peele uh, executive produced it, and um, uh, Misha Green is the showrunner on *Lovecraft Country*, mm-hmm. which again prefigures white people as the monster, right? So it's no longer the repressed, really. It's it's what does non-white society or non-straight white male society see as horrifying,
0: mm-hmm. and what
1: does that mean?
0: Yeah, I can't wait for Nia DaCosta's Candyman to come out. Yeah, at some point, whenever we're getting it someday. <laughs> yeah, because well, and I think that was one of the things that was so important. And um, uh, Shutter has a documentary, um, Horror Noir which is about the history of of um, black actors and black filmmakers in the horror genre and um, they do talk a lot about what Jordan Peele was able to accomplish with Get Out Um, I think this might have been made even before us I'm trying to think but um, but what he was able to accomplish with Get Out and how there are things in there that white people totally missed i certainly did i was just like oh i didn't realize that that's what was happening when he was pulling the padding out of the chair you know Mm -hmm. um things like that but but it goes it really does go through and explain certain tropes that were happening throughout the history of, of making film and how there are such huge differences when black people are telling black stories which we know this yeah but when you can actually see examples of like look this is how a black filmmaker makes you know tells this story versus how a white filmmaker does or how jennifer kent telling the story of the babadook and and creating this this sort of ghost creature hybrid type of movie but really it's not about the creature it's a it's an allegory for grief Mm-hmm. But a man would make that most likely a male director would make that about the creature, about this, this threat, not about the fact that the real threat's coming from within.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so you just get completely different types of stories. And it's not to say that all white male filmmakers are wrong or they're making bad movies. Cause obviously they're not, we've talked about lots. There are a lot of them that I love. I love Wes Craven's movies, you know? Um, But, but when you look at the, it just makes such a richer experience when you get other filmmakers and different stories being told from different perspectives, it just, and when you seek those out and look for films by women, look for films from, you know, from other countries. I mean, I have recently discovered, uh, some really great films from Latin America that i hadn't looked for before and um and so like tigers are not afraid is great Mm -hmm. um la llorona not curse of la llorona (laughs) (laughs) very different movie la llorona is a really great film and so some of these and um it it just really broadens your experience and this is the case with any genre with all films seek out lots of different types of movies by lots of filmmakers who don't look anything like you and it can really just expand your experience and help you understand um film help you understand the world help you understand yourself better
1: Mm -hmm. now uh, i mean of course i i completely agree with everything you just said uh i i i do think that when it comes to horror films um yeah you're you're getting a different perspective and you're getting different fears Mm -hmm. So, so often in horror, we are used to the white society being threatened and white society having to fight back against whatever that threat happens to be. Or, uh, you know, uh, particular representations of women. Um, And again, having to fight back against the horror. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's interesting when you're actually getting films written and directed by non-white men and non-straight white men, um that you you're getting what actually scares what actually scares black people in america you know what actually scares women um not what we think should scare them or what men tell us should scare them but what actually scares us so i i really liked the remake of black christmas mm-hmm which is a fantastic film and it is very explicitly about women fighting back against patriarchy it is very explicitly about not all men and all of that shit yep um and and it wears that completely openly in much the same way that a lot of slasher films wear their own concepts openly um And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I remember watching that and being like, oh, I know why men didn't like this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it, and one of the things that's really good about it and very invigorating about it, but also very frightening about it is that it taps into all of those fears. Yeah. The, the fears of women being left alone in a house, the fears of women being followed home, uh, all of those terrors that, that, the whole idea, you know, and I, I, I encourage any man who has ever said not all men to watch this movie because yes, all men, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean that you are bad, but it does mean that this is what women are actually afraid of. Yeah. And, and, and so it has this, this response to, it's, it's depicting real monstrosity and the way that we understand monstrosity, not the way that straight white men understand monstrosity. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with something like Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country, all of the bad guys are white people. Like, the, it, it's, there are monsters from the depths and there are white people. And the white people are a lot more dangerous in a lot of ways than the monsters from the depths. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that's incredibly powerful. And it's incredibly powerful to watch as a white person. Um, sitting there going like, you know what, I understand something more now, or I'm, I'm seeing something depicted that I don't usually see on screen. And that is a good experience for me, because I'm having to put myself in someone else's position, in a position that I will never be in personally, because I can never experience this kind of thing. But I can try to understand it, and I can try to process what it means to be frightened of white people, for God's sake. Yeah. uh you know, being a woman, I know what it means to be frightened of men, but I don't really know what it means to be frightened of other white people. It's just not something not not in the same way that black people do um, but something like Lovecraft country or get out can show that to me and and can be like this is you know put yourself in our shoes a little bit you know, take another perspective mm-hmm. uh, and think about things in a different way and I think that yeah, you're right it does it, it expands your perspective and it helps you understand the way that other human beings have to go through the world yeah um and and it gives you empathy so yeah uh definitely watch these things watch these movies also i personally think that women have made some of the best horror films recent horror films uh (laughs) just generally it's true (laughs) (laughs) well so we have jumped around a whole bunch uh i am certain that we are going to come back to talk about horror uh particularly across september and october because we are now into what 54 days of horror or something like that something like that (laughs) we were going to do 61 but but then real life horror happens and we we needed to talk about that
0: yeah we did
1: uh so thank you so much, everybody, for listening to us. Karen, do you have any any final thoughts? I just kind of went off on, on Black <laughs> Christmas.
0: Um, I have so many. But I, I would say, if you're interested in horror, we've talked about it before, sign up for Shudder. You can get a free trial of it. I don't know how long the free trial is currently. But sign up for Shudder. And really, what I love about that service it's dedicated to horror fans of course they have original content they have all kinds of other movies on there um what's really great about it is the fact that they categorize it so you can find the types of horror movies that you're looking for so if you really just want something that's psychological or a ghost movie or you know like serial killer movie or whatever it is um you can find those. They have a really interesting collection of international films. Um, some are great and some are, you know, I have feelings, but, uh, but yeah. And they have, they have stuff that's, that's older. They've got things that are really recent. Um, they also have some cool documentaries about horror like horror noir is on there too so um yeah i say sign up for shutter and and see some of these really cool movies some of which we've actually talked about in this episode like um um, did you talk about revenge or prevenge because revenge is on there okay revenge is on
1: there prevenge was on there for a while i don't know if it still is Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's worth seeking out because it's about a pregnant woman whose
0: unborn child tells her to kill people yeah yeah um (laughs) what could go wrong uh (laughs) sounds great um but they also have fun movies like the slumber party massacre um which is (laughs) awesome everybody should watch that i love that movie yes i am recommending a movie called the slumber party massacre i'm not even gonna tell you why just go watch it it's you
1: will know you will know as soon
0: as you look at as soon as you look at who the director and who the writer
1: are (laughs) like as soon as you get that like oh okay okay it is it is a movie and a half and i have to say a number of men have told me that they really do not like that movie i'm like huh shocker Interesting. (laughs) interesting interesting (laughs) weird
0: Hmm. yeah but they have like um uh my gosh they have so many things they've got train to busan on there they've got um i think they have still the original the hills have eyes Uh, Uh, i'm just trying to think through what i was what i was seeing on there um a girl walks home alone at night which is a great film um by anna lily amir i think i'm mm-hmm. saying her name right yeah um they've got a whole dracula collection right now including bram stoker's dracula and a couple of other versions of dracula i um, also
1: got countess dracula and my mm-hmm. personal favorite adaptation of carmilla the vampire lovers oh yeah uh which is is a movie and a half i'm telling you right now it's <laughs> like
0: yeah So that's what I would say that just to kind of wrap things up here is I would say go sign up for Shudder and when you pay for it, it's $5 a month or $6 a month. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the lower priced streaming services. And I think it's worth it. Um, If you're into horror and even if you don't think that you are, but want to check out some new stuff, just, just go, look at it and see what they've got available because there's yeah. some great stuff on there
1: absolutely there's a lot of availability out there um mm-hmm. and and some of them are really bad films and some of them are really good films and the bad ones can be fun too yes
0: <clears throat> well so... my favorite horror movies are terrible <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're to talk about that at some point are all of our favorite bad horror films yes <laughs> uh well i think that that will probably wrap us up we've talked about many different things about horror and i am certain we will talk about more in the coming weeks um thank you all so much for listening and of course we send a particularly uh strong thank you to our patrons um that includes heather adriana Cricket table podcast michael james katie carriotta mason matthew michelle monty nanina nicole Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all so much for continuing to support us. Um, And if you do want to support us and you will get some fun things, uh, we do have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. We also have a Zazzle store if you want to get a few... Fun stuff, including masks. I believe we have masks up there now. That's zazzlecom pod. And if you want to throw us a few dollars without subscribing or anything like that, you can do that too. That's co-fi.com/citizendame. Of course, you may get in touch with us a multitude of ways, including our Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod. We are on facebook.com/citizendame. You can send us an email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And uh, we do have our website, citizendamepod.com, where there are reviews. And I will be be covering uh, the New York Film Festival, which is going to be a really weird experience because it's all online. Um, But I will be covering some things from that. And I know that Karen has some really interesting stuff coming up for reviews. So keep an eye on our website. That's uh, citizendamepod.com. And of course, you may get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LHBusiness. Karen, where are you?
0: I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson.
1: And I think that will close us out for now. We
0: will talk to y'all later. Bye!
1: Listen, you're making enough noise to wake up the dead. I don't have to wake him up. He's up. I saw a hand. You saw a head. Uh-huh. Where? Right over there. Let me see it. Right over Sorry there. Me. Where is it?
0: I saw a hand there.
1: You don't know what you're talking about. You're all excited reading this legend. Now, listen. Listen, Wilbur. I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know there's no such a person as Dracula. But does Dracula know it?